Welcome to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast will introduce you to the people who are on the cutting edge of Jewish innovation. You will be hearing from founders and directors of contemporary organizations creating new paths to participate in Jewish life. In this podcast, you will learn about best practices, tips for engagement, and how to create meaningful connections. This is a place that will bridge you to the tools and resources used by the Jewish leaders, visionaries, and innovators that are creating a new sustainable Judaism. I'm your host, Elizabeth Gossage, and I welcome you to come bridge the gap with me. Listeners and friends to the Bridging Connections podcast. I'm so excited and I'm looking forward to the conversation today that I am having with Rabbi Melanie Lavav of Shomer Collective. Melanie is the executive director. And to be honest, this is all new to me. I don't know very much about Shomer Collective. So I am excited to jump right in and welcome you, Melanie. I'm going to start by, you know, asking you if you would share some of your Jewish journey and specifically how it pertains to starting up Shomer Collective. Sure. Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for inviting me to be in this conversation with you today. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about my background and how it led me to Shomer. So in terms of my Jewish journey, I was raised in a Jewish home in the suburbs of New York, public school supplementary afternoon Jewish education, Jewish camps, Israel experience, which led me to a career in Jewish communal service. And my first set of graduate degrees were in social work and in Judaic studies. I raised money at the Federation. I worked in the JCC for local, national, and international Jewish organizations based here in New York, where I live, for about two dozen years. And I noticed after some time working in the JCC in particular, families winding up in crisis because of their inability to talk about the hard stuff, to talk about death in particular. And at the same time that I had that realization professionally, personally, I had suffered the death of one of my grandparents and my in-laws were at the end of their lives. So my in-laws were both Holocaust survivors and they had let my partner, their only child, know their wishes early and often in a way that I didn't see happening in my work professionally in the Jewish community, that people weren't telling their kids what they wanted and where the papers were to find, you know, the cemetery plot when the time came. But when it came time to take care of my mother-in-law at the end of her life, the last eight years of which she lived in progressive dementia, we couldn't honor her wishes exactly as she had expressed them. She always said, from my house to the cemetery. And she lived in a three-bedroom, split-level house in the suburbs. She didn't drive. And it wasn't safe for her to be there anymore. Even with additional help that we had brought in to care for her in her home, she needed more intensive support. And so through progression of moves from assisted living to a memory care unit, eventually to a nursing home because she needed nursing care, I learned a lot about the broken healthcare system, the challenges in navigating it. And it was the end of her life in the nursing home when she went on hospice care that my eyes were open to the existence of things like hospice and chaplaincy support. And I hadn't really known about any of that. So that opened my eyes in a way that I was curious if I might have a hand in doing some of that work. It was appealing to me to be able to support people at 
that stage of life. It was different than anything else I had ever done before. And I started poking around to see how might I pivot my career in Jewish communal service toward end of life and investigated a number of options to go back to school and ultimately settled on going back to rabbinical school. I decided that what I wanted to do was to be able to speak to life's hardest moments, death and dying in particular, from a place deeply grounded in Torah, to be able to use the breadth and depth of Jewish wisdom, because I knew there was a lot to say around death and dying, to help people through some of these questions and challenges, and perhaps even to avoid some of these crises. So that's a bit of my Jewish journey and how I got to the end of life work. And Shimmer Collective grows out of conversations I was having with a good friend of mine. Her name is Felicia Herman. And one of her kids and one of my kids were on the same little league team and they were in day school together. And so we spent a lot of time together on the picnic blanket at the baseball fields. And I had shared with her what I was seeing in the community and what I experienced in my own life. And at the time, she was the executive director of the Natan Fund and had in in her work uh, helped to get a lot of ideas off the ground into startup Jewish organizations. And so in sharing my experience with her, she had some ideas of how I might figure this stuff out professionally. And she wound up suffering uh, a loss in her own family that opened her eyes to what was and wasn't available and what they did and didn't know. And, you know, we both were in a place of shock that here we were, Jewish communal professionals with resources at our fingertips of who to call in lots of situations in terms of our networks professionally and personally, but when it came to death and dying, at a loss in a lot of ways. And so we started having those conversations with other members of Natan, and I was engaged as a consultant when I was nearing the end of my rabbinical school studies. And we developed, Felicia and I uh, did develop a curriculum together. We spent a year in a course of study with members of Natan, self-selecting members who were interested in learning more about end of life. It was called Natan Lab End of Life. And we met about every month or so for a few hours at a time with doctors and rabbis, scholars and practitioners to understand what does dying look like in America? What does it look like Jewishly? What are the opportunities? Where are the gaps? And at the end of our course of study, the group settled on the time before death as the time needing the most attention, meaning when we spoke to folks, especially folks outside of the Jewish community, we heard a lot of Jews do death well. You have Kaddish and you have Shiva. And we insiders know that there's poor utilization rates of those spiritual technologies, I like to say. Like not so many people feel comfortable these days, know or have a community to support them through things like sitting Shiva for a full week and saying Kaddish. And that is something that we look forward to paying great attention to soon. And our work right now is focused on this question in the time before death of how might I live well in the face of mortality? How can we bring conversations around death and dying into our lives and into the Jewish community in regular ways? that normalize the talking about end of life to make it a little less scary and help to support more people in doing the work that we need to be doing about having these conversations, expressing our wishes, making plans and communicating them with others. Wow. So many things came to mind as you spoke, but the quote that you said was, how might I live well in the face of mortality? And that stands out to me as a person that really works on um, mental wellness and mental well-being, it's a question that could be put to everything. 
how might I live well in the face of terrorism and the face of violence and the face of so many things going on in this world. And I know for me, one of the things that I think of most often is we live well by living in the present, in the now. Mm right? So that that was really interesting to me because right away I thought that's what we need to teach people to do better is to be present for now. And because we can't change the past and right. we can't control the future. Right. So if we live for today and are grateful for every day today, that's living well, right? But then again, like I said, like I've done a lot of work to get to that point. And um, so what I'm hearing is that Show Me Our Collective is sort of doing the work to get to people to that point of figuring out how to live well in the present moment, right? So talk to me specifically about Shomir Collective's mission and how you go about accomplishing that mission. So our mission is to improve end-of-life experiences for individuals and their families inspired by Jewish wisdom, values, and practices. And we do that by curating content and resources and building a diverse network of organizational partners. We accomplish our work through four primary roles. We function as a concierge, as a curator, a convener, and a change agent. And through those roles, we help to empower people as they plan for and confront death for themselves and for loved ones. We help to make Jewish wisdom and expertise in end-of-life matters more accessible through referrals and teaching, counseling, and curation of learning experiences. And we also help to spark innovation and culture change inside and beyond Jewish institutions so that organizations will recognize that end-of-life is a life cycle moment and can meaningfully engage people Jewishly. You know, I think about the folks who come back to synagogue life after two decades away, right? Their kids bar mitzvah, they stop paying their membership dues, and then uh, they suffer the loss of a parent, and they want a community in which to say Kaddish. That's one traditional way of people returning to Jewish engagement. But there are a lot of questions for folks outside of affiliation about the meaning of life, and who am I, and what's my legacy, and what do I have left in the next portion of my life? And these are all questions that are age-old questions that the rabbis have been talking about for millennia, that there's such deep Jewish wisdom to mine to help us realize that that we are not alone in having these questions and we need not be alone in trying to figure out some of the answers for ourselves. Amazing. So my next question, I'm going to preface it by telling kind of a story. I have been involved in some of the programs that Reboot does. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was trained in and have participated and led are these dinners called Death Over Dinner. And me personally, those that I have experienced I find those to be uplifting and engaging and really life affirming. Although the title death over dinner, you say it to some people and it says, Oh, why do, why would I want to go to that? That seems morbid. And so I have had a lot of pushback when I've organized such events because it's a topic that people exactly why you're around people don't want to talk about. So tell me how you get beyond that, that you engage people knowing that this is a topic that in some ways people still feel is taboo. It's so hard. I would say, you know, a lot of work has been done in the healthcare world in particular to understand how the healthcare world might 
market and position things like advanced care planning in a way that avoids certain phrases or topics that are triggering for people. It's, uh, you know, it's very much in line with what you're talking about, that when someone hears death over dinner, they're not, you know, they see it in the JCC program catalog online, they're not signing up for that, right? That's right. something that, um, you know, usually it's those of us who have suffered losses of our own or have come in contact with those who have had significant diagnosis of a serious illness or a near-death experience whose hearts are cracked wide open and are ready to click on the description of Death Over Dinner in the JCC program catalog to see what it's all about. Um, So Shomer's work prioritizes providing support for people in those liminal moments, those opportunities or those life stages where people need support and are more open to addressing questions about death and dying. And we're doing that by programming and creating and providing tools for those liminal moments, like the diagnosis of a serious illness or a decline in health or a death or a decade. Reaching the next decade in life is often a time that spurs reflection for some folks, or a change in status, marriage, divorce, becoming a parent, becoming a grandparent, becoming a caregiver, and in particular, Jewish holidays and remembrances like Yom Kippur, which is the dress rehearsal for death, Yizker, which we have the opportunity to say four times a year, and Yartzeit, the anniversary of the death of a loved one. So that's how we prioritize who is our target audience. But that's not to say that you know, we're not working beyond that. Also, my teacher in a lot of this work and thinking about the utility of end of life contemplation Jewishly is Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He wrote an essay, and there's a big piece of it up on uh, the My Jewish Learning site, in which he asks, Who are we to talk about things like death? And he says that existence embraces both life and death, and Mm -hmm. that death is the test of the meaning of life. That if death doesn't have meaning, then life is absurd. And this is the piece that really works for me. Life's ultimate meaning remains obscure unless it is reflected upon in the face of death. So if you think about those times in your life where you're worrying about the meaning of life, right? It's often after something big happens and there's an opportunity in Jewish wisdom to take a look at the fact of mortality as a way to answer the questions of how do I want to live today, to live in the moment, as you say. It's built into the daily liturgy. It's there to acknowledge when we're ready to acknowledge it, that we wake up in the morning and the first words we utter are words of gratitude, right? right. Thank you. Moda ani, moda ani, right? Shehechazarta yeah. nishmati. We thank God for returning to us our souls from the safekeeping that God had them in overnight because there wasn't a guarantee. We said last night, we'll say tonight, the Shema at bedtime in which we are declaring our faith. It's the last thing we say before we go to sleep because we're not sure that we're going to wake up in the morning. And the Shema is the centerpiece for the end of life v. Dewey, the end of life confessional prayers that are said at bedside when someone is dying imminently. So, you know, there's no shortage in Jewish liturgy of opportunities to take a look at the fact that life is precious and is short to remind us of how we want to live for today. So much. I'm, I'm just letting it all sink in because uh, it resonates so much. And what I, what was going on in my head right now was, 
the saying, and I don't know that I'm going to get it right, but it's something like yesterday's past, tomorrow's the future, and the present is the gift. Mm. And that's what you're saying. And I hear you saying loud and clear that your target audience is those that are at the time when they're realizing they need this. So tell me how you find these people. Are you targeting in synagogues, in funeral homes, in hospitals? How are you getting there? Sure, sure. I should say that that's our work that's directed toward individuals. And a second piece of our work is also targeting organizations, because there isn't yet an established field of Jewish end-of-life care, right? Rabbis have their conventions, social workers have their conventions, but organizations providing care and services near the end of life tend to be siloed. Most Jewish organizations don't see that preparing for a death is an opportunity, a problem to be solved. And there are many ways that they could provide help, but organizations obviously have other priorities where they lack expertise or capacity, or the issues get categorized among the human service world rather than education and engagement Jewishly. So we want to support organizational leaders in the Jewish community so that they can support individuals in their communities. So, you know, our work is constantly building new offerings based on growing demand, questions we get from people and organizations, and through our ongoing evaluation, we're continually testing new ideas and approaches and assessing the impact. I'll give you an example. We're in conversation with a program that was started in the Jewish community in New York City called What Matters? Caring Conversations About End of Life. It was uh, founded and funded in partnership between the Plaza Jewish Community Chapel, the local nonprofit Jewish funeral home, the JCC in Manhattan, and the Jewish Theological Seminary's Center for Pastoral Education. And it was very successful in training a cohort of peer facilitators to have conversations largely through synagogues with folks about what matters most so that people could identify their healthcare proxy and put their wishes in a living will and share those wishes with a healthcare proxy. And uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary developed some uh, Jewish content pieces, videos with some well-known rabbis talking about things like artificial hydration and nutrition to go along with it. And uh, over the seven years that What Matters was housed at the Marlene Meyerson JCC in Manhattan, they built up a network of 20 local partners, most of which were synagogues. People also came to do the program through the JCC and a couple of seminaries, rabbinical seminaries in New York and uh, an agency serving older adults called DeRote. And the funding for that program was nearing its end. And the program coordinators were receiving queries from all over the country, from folks who would learn about it, read about something, and uh, wonder how might I bring this to my community. Um, and uh, we developed a relationship with them um, in which we spent a year this past year working to um, move what matters from a New York-based program to something that will now be accessible online nationally, direct to individuals and through a number of pilot communities in the coming year. So this is a way that we're noticing what's already going on in the Jewish community and recognizing the potential to help more folks to access what's already been created, where investment has already been made. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Um, and uh, there are a lot of opportunities that we have to highlight and elevate incredible 
work that's already happening in the field. So this program, What Matters, you say it's going, it's moving to an online and a less localized. And so is that available now? Or is there something that if someone's listening to this podcast and was interested in signing up to getting a notification when it's available? Yes. Check out the Shomer Collective website. Um, where you can sign up for our newsletter. And uh, once you sign up for our newsletter, then you'll receive announcements of our upcoming programs, which include online sessions for what matters. Okay. All those links will be in the show notes then. That's great. That's great. Because I want to be able to guide people to finding you and finding the programs that that they need, because I sometimes feel like people are out there and they don't, they don't know what's available. Yeah. And you want to bring something, you know, they want to bring what matters to your community. You can be in touch with us at hello at showmarecollective.org also on our website to start a conversation with us directly about it. Amazing. So before I get into like kind of the closing up questions that I have, is there anything else you want the audience to know about Showmare Collective and the work you're doing? Sure. You know, we have a lofty vision for the future, but I think it resides in the present here with us, between us, because we envision a world where end of life matters are spoken about openly, thoughtfully, frequently, creating more opportunities for folks to engage with Jewish wisdom values and practices. And having these conversations and experiences can be transformational, having an impact not only on the person, but also the whole family or community system, right? So when we think about for individuals prioritizing these liminal moments, these in-between times, it'll help us to find ways to make more accessible the age-old playbook for Jewish death and dying, right? We're not the first generation to have any of these experiences. Of course. Um, You know, going back to what I said earlier about wanting people to know that they're not alone, the line that we're taught to say to mourners when we visit a Shiva house, this is what it's about. May you be comforted among the other mourners, right? That's what we say when we visit, traditionally visit a Shiva house. May you be comforted among the other mourners, knowing that you as a mourner are not sitting your Shiva alone, but you're part of an interconnected community that goes beyond the Shiva house in which you're seated at the moment. And more broadly in the field, you know, this idea that, that organizations will recognize end of life as a life cycle moment to engage people Jewishly will happen in, in the ways that end of life is poised to be more regularly on the agenda of, of Jewish communal leaders and thinkers who will bring the ideas to their work in new ways. We're working on some plans for training programs to create a pipeline of professionals in the field and starting to see an interest among funders and bringing more investment to this work. A lot of it as a result of living through the pandemic and understanding how close so many of us came to death in ways, you know, literally or figuratively after a million people have died from COVID here in this country alone. It's the beauty of our tradition of our Judaism to recognize that we don't have to live life in the good parts or in the bad parts alone. And that's why there are so many things in place that actually command us through the meets vote to be in community from having a minion in services. So the message of you are not alone is beyond just during these times. And I'm glad you brought it up because it really talks to how our tradition really takes care of us. There's, there's no time, especially during the life cycle moments, where one is left to be alone. For me, that's the beauty of Jewish tradition and, and heritage. So I love that you 
you brought that out. Yeah, our work is also informed by folks who don't feel that they are part of a community. Yeah. Thinking about people beyond affiliation, who when someone in their life dies, they don't feel that they have people who will come to right. pay a shiva call. And there's a lot of work that we're doing among groups called solo agers, right? People who are not partnered, they're not part of a network of family of origin to help people think about identifying who's going to be my healthcare proxy if I live alone. And, you know, I'm not part of a Jewish community. And what are the ways that we can help people to do that thinking while we're well, so that when the time comes, we aren't alone? I think one of the greatest gifts that my parents have given me, and although, thank God, they are still alive, but they're aging. And they might not know that I think this is their greatest gift, is that they've made these arrangements for me. They Mm -hmm. have down to who they want officiating their ceremonies when the time comes that they do pass away and cemetery plots and all of these things. And I remember how resistant I was when my mother first said, I'm going to make these arrangements. And I was like, no, it's morbid. I don't want to talk about it. But now I realize that it's a gift because when that time comes, I'm not going to be in the state of mind to do all that. And so just thinking about these things well ahead, as you said, if we think about it deeply, we realize that it's going to help everyone in the end. And uh, yeah, I was really resistant to it in the beginning. And I actually went to the funeral home with my mom and we made decisions together. Mm. And I felt part of the process and I felt that I respected her in being part of that process too. So thank you for doing this work and having people starting to think about what it's going to look like and what they want their journeys to look like and how they want their families taken care of because it is so important. And you already brought up that we start our days by saying moda or modani, which is being grateful for the new day and having our spirit with us and our soul. And my tradition on this podcast is to always ask what you're thankful for today Because to me, every day, that's the most Jewish thing I do. Beautiful. I love the idea. I have to say that I am thankful for visionaries and partners in this work. This is not my idea alone. I stand on the shoulders of many others who have come before me. And in particular, folks from Natan who are incubating us right now as an organization and their expertise in supporting innovative new organizations, many of whom I know have been on your podcast. Um, I am grateful for folks like Natan and for partners like the great women behind Hagadot.com or Custom and Craft with whom we are By the way, they will be on a future podcast uh, soon too. Fabulous. And we're working with them on an end of life ritual site in development. And the pioneers at places like Kavod Vinichum, I don't know if you've spoken with anyone there mm-hmm. yet, who have pioneered the revival of Jewish rituals around death and supporting the growth of Hever Kadisha, of sacred burial society groups in Jewish communities throughout the United States. So I'm grateful for folks who are doing the work, who have done the work, who will help the work to continue and to grow with us. So thank you for bringing up Kavod Vinichum. They are also on my list to be speaking with soon. So yeah, these places are on my radar. And I love that you brought up 
some of the organizations you're partnering with. And I was just wondering, are there any other up and coming organizations or even more established organizations that you're really excited about that you'd want to share? Sure. We're um, privileged to be working with the Blue Dove Foundation um, on the intersection of mental health and end of life issues and concerns, in particular around tragic causes of death, um, suicide, sudden death, even if it's accidental, and the ways in which Jewish tradition can help support people in a lot of the questions. You know, when we learn about a death, an unexpected death in community, oftentimes our first inclination is to say, how did they die, right? And that self-protective questioning of, okay, well, I'm not going to die that way, right? Like, I'm okay today because I'm not going to wind up in that situation. And the opportunities we have to think about respect for the dead, first and foremost, and supporting the mourners. And when we put those priorities um, on the list, they help to allay our own fears about our own mortality and allow us to focus on the priorities of the people who are closest to the loss. So I'm excited about the opportunities that we uh, have in working with the Blue Dove Foundation to address some of the mental health concerns around end of life in particular. And with them, we're in the next cohort of the Venture Accelerator sponsored by the Collaboratory. So there are a lot of excellent potential new partners in in our site uh, through that opportunity. A lot of great organizations through the Collaboratory, yes. Yeah. Our existing partners, uh, the folks who have already signed on to do work with us are on our website, so you can see them there. Right, and I'll definitely put a link to specifically to your partners too, just to continue to amplify those voices. Thanks. Melanie, great talking to you. (laughs) And um, I appreciate you having this conversation with me and um, doing this hard work that is, you know, something that so many people say, I don't want to talk about that. That's scary. and. the truth is, is yes, it could be scary, but it doesn't have to be as scary as we think either. And you're helping people see that. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your time with me. Thank you so much. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks so much for the invitation. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridging Connections podcast. This podcast and Bridges 613 will succeed if its social media reach is wide. Please partner with us to promote this important work. You can follow us on Facebook at Bridges613 and visit our website at www.bridges613.org. There, you can read blogs, listen to past podcasts, and subscribe to our newsletter. Please share the podcast and our social media links with your community and enable others to benefit and learn about the groundbreaking innovation taking place in our beloved Jewish community. Your support is greatly appreciated.